for sure. Uh, turn with me to Acts 8. And I know some of you guys are looking at your watch and you said, oh, Pastor Mike is preaching. I hope we get out of here before one. You're lucky you came to the first service because I have to get you out of here by at least 11. Because there's going to be more people coming in and we got to get out. And so don't worry, we're going to get there, I promise. Turn to Acts 8. And today I want to talk about... We've been in this, this series of Acts Awakenings. We've been looking at the book of Acts and we've been, we've been like dissecting the Holy Spirit and, and how the Holy Spirit is moving and, and, and present in the book of Acts. And today, this morning, I want to talk about this thought. It's, it's, it's kind of rough. It's one of those thoughts that we don't like. It's to be awakened to opposition. To opposition. There's one thing I've learned throughout my almost 20 years as a pastor in the church. There's two things that can quiet a crowd so that you can hear a pin drop and the crickets outside in the grass. And we've talked about both of them this morning. Money and the fact that sometimes life (laughs) stinks. How many of you guys have ever seen a rubber band? Ever seen a rubber band? I know you guys have seen rubber bands, right? I know we don't, we don't get rubber bands as much anymore because nobody gets the newspaper. Like I remember as a kid, I'd get a rubber band every day because my parents got a newspaper. And I'd get it taken from me every day because I'd flip my sister with it. And my mom would say, that's not what that's for. Everybody see, see this? No, if you guys like, no, don't throw. Put an eye out with that. But a rubber band, there's something I know about a rubber band. If you take a rubber band like this, it's not worth much. The only way a rubber band is worth its salt is when it's stretched. When it, something's inside of it and it's stretched and it's holding something together. That's the only time a rubber band is worth anything. It's the same thing for us as followers of Christ. Can I tell you something about American Christianity that drives me bananas? American Christianity drives me bananas because I believe that we've come to think that the goal of being a Christian in North America is two things, salvation and comfort. Salvation and comfort. That's why in America, in North, in North America, and in our context in America uh, in general, if we were to change the music, people leave because they're not comfortable anymore. If we were to take the pews out of some churches and put chairs in them, people leave because they're not comfortable anymore. If we were to turn off the air conditioner, people would leave because they're not comfortable anymore. North American Christianity has fallen into two categories, salvation and comfort. It's I want to be saved so I don't have to go to hell, but I also want to be comfortable so I don't have to endure hell while I'm in church. Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have talked about this one when we were talking about raising money for the youth center. I should have, I should have saved this one. But let me tell you something I know about discipleship. Salvation is not the goal of discipleship. Let me explain. Salvation is part of the discipleship process. 
We do want to see people saved. There are lost people out there dying and going to hell. And our job is to go out and live like Christ and speak like Christ and love like Christ and have mercy like Christ and speak Jesus' truth like Christ to those people who are lost. Yes, but our also, our goal is to disciple those people in Christ so that they can multiply as well. It's not to just be saved and sanctified and petrified and wait for Jesus to come back and take us home. That's not the goal. The goal is also to not be comfortable. If you've ever had a moment where you're in a, in, in a service or in, in the prayer room or, or with a group of believers and the Holy Spirit begins to move, I want to let you know something. It's not comfortable. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is like sleeping on a double pillow top, certain mattress. Because that's not what the Holy Spirit does. But there's this, there's this cycle that, that I've seen, and we, we read all the way through the book of Acts, and, and we're going to look at Acts 8 for a second, but, but, but I want to I show you how, how throughout the entire book of Acts, this cycle is pretty prevalent in the entire, uh, the entire book of Acts. And it goes like this. The first thing is people are either seeking or crying out to God. So they're seeking God, they're, they're, they're who is this God person, who is this Jesus person, and they're seeking the truth, or they know who he is, and they're, they're, in a, they're in a place in their life where they know they need to cry out to God, and they begin to do that, and though that, that is the first part of the cycle. And then what happens when you seek God with all of your heart or when you cry out to God with, with, a, with a broken heart, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit happens. In other words, God shows up. When you're asking God to be there, guess what? God shows up. And then when the Holy Spirit gets poured out, here's the part we don't like. Every time in the book of Acts, when there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, on the back end of that, there is an opposition that happens. There is a tension that comes into the room. So I'm telling you, be careful. If you're sitting here this morning, you're praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you're praying for the Holy Spirit to be in your life, there is going to be an opposition that comes on the back end of that prayer. But the good news is, church, on the opposite end, on the backside of opposition, there is kingdom results. Amazing things happen when you cry out to God. There's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Opposition comes into your life. Then kingdom results happen. Amazing things happen if you'll just hold on through the opposition. And then the cycle begins back over again. Because when kingdom results happen, then you cry out for more of God because you want more of him. And then the pouring of the Holy Spirit happens and the opposition comes and then the kingdom results. And it's this amazing cycle of movement of the Holy Spirit. And if we look in the book of Acts, there, there, are, kind, there are all kinds of places in the book of Acts where you can find this. Acts 2, there's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and then the apostles are accused of being drunk. Remember that in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down and they begin to, they begin to preach and they begin to speak and, the, and, and all these amazing signs and wonders are happening. And then people look at the Holy Spirit or look at the apostles and they go, uh, I think they've been drinking this morning. And they look at them like, oh, it's only like nine in the morning. No one's drunk at nine in the morning. 
But this opposition comes because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But then amazing kingdom results happen. It's spread all throughout the area. The gospel did. You look at Acts Acts 3, the healing of the beggar. There's a beggar that gets healed. And what happens, the religious people get upset because they're not doing exactly what the religious people want them to do. They're doing things a little outside the box by healing a beggar. And, and even in some points, they get healed on the Sabbath. And they're like, what in the world are you doing? Well, that's, that's the holy day. And so these religious people get mad because the Holy Spirit is not moving in the box they want to put him in. That's the opposition. Acts 4, there's the sharing of the possessions. The disciples say, well, let's bring all of our stuff together and let's put it together. Let's go out and let's bless our communities of those in need. And, and, and Ananias and Sapphira, they come in and they lie about what they got for the land that they sold. And what happens is they die. And so what happens is even when you have this, this plan from God, you cry out and the Holy Spirit uh, comes down and you start to bring in your possessions and you're sharing them and you're doing, you're doing kingdom work, there's going to be an opposition and the opposition in Acts 4 is greed. And then in Acts 5, you got the apostles again, they heal people and they're arrested for it. They're out healing people and then they get arrested for it. I believe that's opposition. And then you got Acts 8 where this guy, Philip, Philip, after they, they, the, the disciples in, back, in, back in like Acts 6, the disciples have all this amazing stuff going on. There's all this uh, amazing ministry going on. They're preaching and they're healing and they're praying for people and they're, they're uh, calling out and casting out demons. All this stuff is happening. But guess what? They're exhausted. They're tired. And they begin to think, well, then there's all these poor people coming and, and people with needs and felt needs and real needs. And the disciples and the apostles are like, man, I'm tired. I don't want to do this too much. We need to bring some people in to take care of the poor and the food pantry ministry. We need to share the load because that's what leaders do. They share the load. They commission other people to do ministry. And so they bring in these people that, 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 that they put over the poor and, and the, the, the food pantry basically is what they had. They're giving out food to people in need. They put people over it. Philip was one of those people. He and Stephen were, were two of those people. And what happens is at the beginning of chapter 8, you see where Stephen is stoned. Or at the, begin, at the end of chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. At the beginning of chapter 8, you see the first kind of entry of Paul slash Saul into the story. And Saul comes on and he, he basically says what happened to Stephen is okay. And so now he's off at the beginning of chapter 8. Saul is off persecuting Christians. He's off pulling Christians out of their houses. He's off putting them in jail. And then you run into this guy named Philip. Now there's something about Philip I love is Philip was friends with Stephen. Obviously they did ministry together. He was there when Stephen was, was stoned. He, he would have known what happened to Stephen. He knew that Saul was coming after him. You want to talk about opposition. Philip knew that if he continued doing what he did or what he was doing, that Saul was going to come and get him. But if you pick up uh, Philip in chapter 8, you see what he's doing. He's out preaching. It says that the believers were scattered to preach the good news about Jesus. But Philip went to Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Kingdom results. 
There's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Stephen is stoned. And then Philip knows that Saul is coming for him. But yet, because of the opposition, he's pushed into another, another place that he had never been the, into Samaria. And he starts preaching the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, to the people in Samaria. And then he goes on, spirits are being uh, cast out, people are being healed, miraculous things are happening. And there's this guy, there's this other person in this story named Simon. And Simon was a sorcerer who, who had a kind of, he was a big deal in the town. Like he could have worn the t-shirt that said, I'm kind of a big deal. Like it says that he had power over these people because he would do these magic, these, these, these magic acts, these magic things that people thought were magic. And, and, and he was doing this thing and the people were looking to him. And it literally says in the scripture that they looked at Simon and said, he was the power, a man of God. But then a real man of God shows up. And he starts preaching the good news about salvation and being set free and who the Messiah was. And all these people begin to believe. It says the scriptures in, in chapter 8 says they've been to begin to believe in who Jesus was. And now Philip is preaching and all these people are getting saved. And one of those people that actually gets saved is Simon the sorcerer. And then he starts following Peter, or he starts following Philip. But then it says they needed, he needed some reinforcements. And if you pick it up in, in verse 14, it says this, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for those new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon the believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is moving. These people are receiving the Holy Spirit. But here comes the opposition. In verse 18, it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter rebukes him. He, he says, may your money burn. This is not how it works. But then you go down to verse 25 and it says, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Kingdom Results. Kingdom results. And so what we have here is we have Philip shares the good news. Simon receives the good news. But then he sees the apostles lay their hands on people and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, he's a magician. He's like, oh, that'd be a cool magic act. I could be in Vegas. I can get, I can get like my own show in Vegas at the Mirage. That's me. I can do this. Lay hands. The Holy Spirit comes. Let me buy that. They're like, you can't buy this. This is not something that's for sale. It's not how it works. And then at the very end, the part I didn't read, he, he literally says to, the, to, the, to Peter and John, he says, pray for me so that those things don't happen to me. Basically, he repents and says, I don't want to be that kind of person. Pray for me. And then Peter and John go back and to Jerusalem, but through a lot of Samaritan villages that were, they were able to preach the good news in. So there's this cycle of the, out, the crying out for God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, opposition, then kingdom results. So what do we do in 2017, Columbus, Georgia? How does this 
apply to us. So what do we do? Pastor Mike, if, 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 I'm, if I'm walking in this opposition, how do, how, do I, how do I realize what's going on? One thing I learned when I was in the army, that is if you have, if you fail to plan, then that's a plan to fail. And so for me, it's the same thing in my spiritual journey. The more I can plan, the more I can be prepared, the more I can get myself ready, then I, then, then I found out that the opposition, when it comes, I can recognize it a little easier, and I can learn to walk through it a little, a, a little better because I learned that it's not me, but the Holy Spirit that's going to get me through the opposition. And so I want, I want to tell you a few ways in, in the book of Acts. These are the four things. These are the four ways that opposition comes. The first one is pretty simple. It's the enemy. Satan. It says in the word that Satan is here to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want to bring anything good to you. He doesn't want to bring life to you. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But let me tell you something that you may not understand. Satan has no power to make you do anything. That statement, the devil made me do it, is an outright lie. Satan has no power to make you do anything. Because you are a free-willed individual who is loved and created in the image of God, you will never be made by Satan to do anything. Now, he will put obstacles and opposition in your way. He will tempt you. He will, he will throw things out there. But never once do you have to succumb to the temptation and the obstacles that Satan puts into your life. Satan has no power over you. And if you're in agreement with that today, if you have told yourself that the devil made me do this, that's a lie. But the first thing the opposition comes from is the enemy, because the enemy hates what's going on here. The enemy hates the movement of the Holy Spirit. So whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people, the enemy is on the back end of that with opposition. The second one is the religious. The religious. There's a difference between being religious and being a Christ follower. The religious put laws over people. The religious put, put, put those things that, that are like, I want to dress this way or look this way or I have to speak a certain way. The religious have a set of laws that you have to, that you have to maintain before you a set of love that you have to show. It's laws versus love. You see, laws are there to kind of keep us in between the ditches. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a reason why they, they have a speed limit. Because crazy people are going to go 90 miles an hour. But just because I go 82 in an 80, is there an 80 here? There's no 80 here, right? That's like Montana. So if I go 72 in a 70, that don't mean I go directly to hell. Does that make sense? See, God loves us so much, he gave us free will. You can't have love without free will. That's a, that's a whole other sermon. You can't have love without free will. So if you're sitting here today and you're more religious than you are a Christ follower, that's not of Christ. Because the religious are in opposition. They come, they come on the back end of the movement of the Holy Spirit. They go, oh, wait a minute. That's, we, we can't, if the Holy Spirit is moving and he's telling us to do this or go there or change directions, that makes us uncomfortable because it doesn't fit in our little religious box. And so, we, so, so there's opposition from the religious people on the back end of the, of the movement of the Holy Spirit. 
third one is the uninformed. Opposition comes from the uninformed. Simon was uninformed. It says in, in chapter 8 that Simon gave himself to Christ. He, he repented. He, he believed in who the Messiah was. But then just a few more verses later, he's asking to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? That man was saved. He was just uninformed. Again, that's why salvation is not the goal. Discipleship is the goal. Salvation is part of discipleship. If they would have sat down and discipled him and said, this is what happens, he probably would have been more informed about who Christ is. So sometimes we have to recognize that the opposition is coming from just those people who are uninformed. That's why, you know why? That's why I love this, this church. Because one of our core values is that we keep everything in the light. You want to you wanna sit down with someone who's uninformed? That's keeping things in the light. Someone might say, I don't understand why we're doing this. Well, guess what? We'll just go have coffee and talk about why we're doing this. And if I sit down with someone who's uninformed, I can even learn from that. But sometimes the opposition comes from those who are uninformed. And lastly, it comes from yourself. Opposition sometimes comes from yourself, from me. But let me, let me be careful here. Let me tell you something. Self, sometimes we blame opposition on bad choices. Sometimes we say we're being persecuted because we made a bad choice. Bad choices is not persecution. That's just because you made a bad choice. Sometimes your own self is the reason why you're feeling opposition. Because you're not walking in the spirit. You're not listening to the spirit. You're not, you're not open to the movement of the spirit. And so self is getting in the way of the movement of the Holy Spirit. That's the opposition. But church, here's the good news. On the backside of opposition, there's always kingdom results. If it's a true outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the opposition comes... If you are willing to walk through the opposition with the Holy Spirit, kingdom results happen. And here's the kingdom results we often see in the book of Acts. The first one is this, unusual movement. Unusual movement. There's something I've learned about the Holy Spirit all these years. The Holy Spirit is not stagnant. The Holy Spirit is not a pond. The Holy Spirit is a river. The Holy Spirit is always moving. The Holy Spirit is refreshing. You cannot say, I've been exactly the way I am for the last 35 years and tell me you're walking in the Holy Spirit. If you read the scripture, there's no moment when the Holy Spirit moves that things stay the same. And in the scripture, if you, if you look here, after where we read, when we, when we uh, stopped at verse 25, after that verse 26, what happens to Philip is he goes to a place that he'd never been before, and he starts to preach to a guy named uh, an Ethiopian eunuch. We don't get his name, but he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's the treasure for the king of Ethiopia. And so Philip starts to preach the good word to this, to this, to this eunuch, and, and, and he and explains Jesus, the scriptures about Jesus to this eunuch. He accept those, accepts those. 
And then a eunuch goes back to Ethiopia and starts to preach about Jesus in Ethiopia, a place where he was not preached before then. And Philip moves on to other places to preach the good news. And the good news just spreads because of the movement of the Holy Spirit causes unusual movements. You're going to go places that you've never gone. You're going to think things that you've never thought. You're going to have feelings that you've never had. You're going to look at people differently the way you've never seen them. Those are unusual movements. You're going to give more than you ever thought you could give. You're going to receive more than you ever thought you can receive. Those are the unusual movements of the Holy Spirit. On the backside of opposition is kingdom results. And the first one is unusual movement. The next one is uninhibited prayer. We see in, in, in the book of Acts when, when, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens and the opposition comes, it often moves people into this, this prayer that they've never felt before, this prayer that they've never had before. It's uninhibited. You, you, it's, it's almost a, a self selfless, naked, just standing out there like you've never stood out there before, uninhibited prayer. You're saying, I believe in who God is. The next one is unwavering boldness. They're bold in ways that they've never been. And if you'll just walk through the opposition, then unwavering boldness comes. And the last one is undying worship. They get to a place where they worship like they've never worshiped before. I want to pray this morning, and I just want to challenge us this morning with this. I think Dwayne and the band is going to come out, and they're going to play something, but I want to challenge us with this. This is what I, this is what I know. I know there are people in here this morning, some that are going through opposition right now. You're in the midst of it. You don't know why it's happening. You don't know how you're going to get through it. But I can tell you this, if you allow the Holy Spirit to outpour on your life, he will walk you through the opposition and there will be kingdom results on the other side. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Mike, I'm just walking through this opposition. I don't even, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why I'm walking through, but I am. I want to invite you to come and pray this morning. And someone's going to come and pray with you. Those on the prayer team will come down and they'll pray with you. And some of you may be sitting here today, this morning and say, Pastor Mike, I've, I kind of felt like I'm stuck. Like I'm stagnant. And I just want to cry out to God this morning and say, God, I need you to move in my life. And I can tell you this, if you will, the Holy Spirit will move. He'll move in your life, but we're ready for some opposition but then be excited about the kingdom results that will come. And if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to come down for a few minutes and pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. For those this morning who are walking through this opposition, Father, I just pray that you would move on their heart this morning. Show them how much you love them. Father, encourage them that kingdom results always come on the other side of opposition. Those are stagnant, Father. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move on their life this morning. They'd begin to move, Father God, and breathe and realize how much you love them. 
Jesus, breathe on this place. In Jesus' name, amen.